Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of A Sound Heart Radio. I want to give God thanks once again for this opportunity to meet with you around his word. Indeed, when we fellowship with the Lord, when when we make our fellowship with the Lord primary, then, then our other relationships are blessed too. This, this is why... He must be primary. He must be first in our lives, in our hearts. And so I want to thank God uh, once again for this opportunity. And uh, our study tonight is entitled, What Will People Say or Do When the Party is Over? I have several scriptures to go over tonight. I don't know how many we will get through. But I'm going to do my best uh, uh, because there had been, there's not going to be any Sunday broadcast. I'm going to be with my wife. We're going to be celebrating our wedding anniversary. And uh, I thank God for her and her ministry to this family and to many others over the years. So she is a great blessing, and her life and her testimony has been a great blessing to many people. And so I'm going to be spending time with her. So pray for us, please. I pray uh, for this ministry that God will continue to use it and that uh, those who hear it will be wonderfully edified by the Holy Spirit. So with that, let us have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you for this opportunity to meet with your people. We ask that you would open our understanding, Lord. We pray that there are no unconfessed sin in our hearts or lives, Lord, so that we can drink freely and deeply of the water of life and feast upon the bread of life, who is our, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What will people say or do when the party is over? So <clears throat> I'm going to be reading from Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. Hopefully we will be able to get to uh, uh, to the book of Nahum uh, because there are some other pertinent scriptures that I would share with you. And finally, uh, I would like to get to uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. So uh, let's begin reading in Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Quote, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets <clears throat> excuse me, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. 
so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblet that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Now, the reason why the uh, Belshazzar said this or made a statement about this individual will be the third highest ruler in the kingdom is because he was the second highest ruler in the kingdom. He was uh, co-regent with his father. So he was a co-regent, and so this was the extent of his power. Verse 8, quote, Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Now, there are those who believe that this was the uh, queen widow of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and so she would be an elderly woman who had experience and knew uh, of Daniel and his uh, what he had done for the kingdom. And so she said, O king, live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. And so we keep hearing this. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, notice the language, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king. And so we have that emphasis on your father, your father the king. I I say appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. 
So Daniel had a very astute, a very capable mind. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar prized such individuals. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writings mean. Now, you know at this time, Daniel was, uh, would be an elderly man himself. So, the king, so Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have in- uh, insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. The language is interesting. The address to Daniel is very fascinating because this man had uh, an awareness of Daniel's presence. But read once again Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. And so this is a debauched theme. This is a debauched theme. And... uh, this is uh, this is a, also a scene of blasphemy. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah represent absolute moral depravity uh, and political degradation. Babylon is synonymous with abject apostasy and unbelief. So. When we read about Babylon in the book of Revelation, I want you to know this. I want you to remember this, that Babylon is synonymous with abject apostasy and unbelief. So uh, then Daniel uh, says in verse 17, you may keep your gifts for yourself. And give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, Daniel knows that this is the end of this kingdom. Why would he want want such uh, such reward? He knows this is he knows this is the end. The spirit of God is using him uh, as a prophet and to witness to this uh, debauched. King. He didn't rule that long. And we can see in, in chapter 5, verse 1, you know why? Verse 1, quote, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Verse 2, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They have taken the holy and made it profane. 
They have taken taken what belonged to God and believed in uh, with uh, that because he is with this group of individuals, uh, holiness does not apply. I want you to understand what's going on here. I want you to see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had stored away what he had taken from Jerusalem, from the temple. He had stored it away. Now, in at, at the end of Daniel chapter 4, you have uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's salvation tract that or message that he sent out uh, to his kingdom. God had taken his sanity. But then in verse 34 of chapter 4, we read, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. Look, Belshazzar knew that his father had been taken off the throne by God, and uh, he had been uh, his mind had been taken from him because his father was filled with arrogance and said uh, he walked out and he said, "This is my Babylon that I have built." So he was arrogant. And then uh, he was judged. Verse 36 of chapter 34. Or let me read verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can uh, hold back his hand. Notice the language that Nebuchadnezzar uses. Now, Babylon was a sophisticated kingdom. They knew a lot about the heavens. They knew a lot about cosmology. They knew a lot about the stars, the planets. They knew a lot about the heavens. Okay? Please don't think that these people were not sophisticated. This, uh, this was a huge kingdom. It was huge. So he goes on, uh, verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor, splendor, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. This had never happened before in the history of Western Asia, that an insane king would be lifted up again to be restored to his throne. This is the sovereignty, the sole sovereignty of God at work. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. My advisors and nobles sought me out. He was so completely restored and his mind was so completely restored that his advisors and noblemen came to him he says, look, they sought me out, and I, I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt 
and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Please, please read Proverbs sixteen eighteen, and please read Luke twenty eighteen. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He is talking about himself. But notice the universal application. Babylon was located in the area of Iraq. It is 60 miles south of Baghdad on the banks of the Euphrates River. So let me go on. So then Daniel rehearses to King Belshazzar the testimony of his father, verse 18 of chapter 5. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. All the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. This is only through God. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, now God worked with this king differently than he worked with uh, the uh, uh, Ramesses in the book of Exodus. Exodus. And Ramesses defied the living God. And God broke his power, and then uh, completely, then God killed him. Verse 20. But when, but when his heart became arrogant and hard with pride, he was posed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal, which we call boanthropy or insania zoanthropy. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Daniel 5, verse 22. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, Though you knew all this, verse 23, see, Daniel is letting him have it. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You, so again, here's another ruler that set himself in opposition to God. You can't win. The crowds cannot save you. Your friends cannot save you. Your acquaintances. Acquaintances with money and power and glory and connections cannot save you. 
when God comes for you. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. Notice the language. Daniel is very precise. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives. Now, all these people are standing there. And your concubines drink wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear nor understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene. Tikel, these words mean, Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. He's done. Tikel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting or lacking. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar king of the Babylonians was slain. That very night. And Darius the Mede, Medo-Persia, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Darius was a mature man. And in chapter 6, we see that Darius sought out Daniel uh, as an administrator in his kingdom. In Daniel chapter 5, we have the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar and his salvation. In chapter uh, Daniel chapter 4, we have the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 5, we have the end of King Belshazzar. In Daniel chapter 6, God raised up Darius, Medo-Persia. And so it's, this is a fascinating chapter because God came in to the midst of this king's party. And this king saw the hand writing on the wall. If you take some time to read about the, the capital city of, uh, of Babylon and the different walls and how it was strategically located and the guard posts and how wide the walls were, how high they were, uh, this king... Belshazzar has had no need to fear an enemy or that he could be taken. You see, 
The arrogant are always woefully blind because his belief did not take into account the almighty God or God almighty. It's a doctrine that I hear rarely taught. God almighty is a powerful and fascinating doctrine. God almighty. Mighty. I wish you would go through your Bibles and read about God Almighty. It is a very powerful doctrine. It would bless your soul. It will give you the resolve to continue on in the ways of Christ. He, that is Jesus, delivered his life over to God Almighty. Now, I want to take you to uh, the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum is about the judgment of the king, uh, uh, the judgment of Nineveh. Now, God sent Jonah, and I'm going to read, I'm reading Jonah chapter 1 now, uh, verse 1, quote, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away. So Jonah knew what the Ninevites and what these people were like. They were the enemy of his people. Nineveh was the capital city of the dreaded Assyrian Empire. The Jews despised the Assyrians. Jonah would rather uh, that Nineveh be destroyed than that the city would have an opportunity to repent. God is showing his grace. To the Ninevites. And we read a very curious word about Jonah's behavior toward God. This is 760 BC. So Jonah ran away. And in the Hebrew, it reads, uh, he, uh, his attitude that is, uh, he reared up before God. He ran away from the Lord and hid it for. Tarshish. He wanted to disobey God, that is. And so we have this curious verb, but arose Jonah. Understand, in the small book of Jonah, not Jonah, but God is the main character of the book. God's name is mentioned 38 times in this book. The Hebrew uses the word pasha and uh, with regard to Jonah's attitude, and it signifies revolt, or it means to refuse to submit to rightful authority. And then you read about uh, Jonah aboarding his ship and the trouble, the raw, the trouble that he caused for 
the men or the sailors on this ship. The disobedient child of God will cause storms in the lives of in his vicinity. Because when God comes for you, he's not going to stop. In Jonah chapter 1, we have rebellion. In Jonah chapter 2, we have repentance. In Jonah chapter 3, we have restoration. In Jonah chapter 4, we have resentment. Struggle with the will of God for his life. He was to go and preach a message of grace. And... uh, Jonah chapter 4, he became greatly displeased and angry. Uh, and this is what Jonah says about God. And this is Jonah 4 2. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. O oh man. You, you, you see? Uh, notice. Notice the pronouns. Take away my life. Me. You see what we're thinking was? God that uh, I'm not going to do that now. That's not your ministry. About a hundred years later, another prophet comes along, and his name is Nahum. And he is Nahum the Elkishite. And so God is done with the Ninevites. And Nahum preaches. Or he has a it is called the burden of Nahum. And uh, God, God is done with Nineveh. And so in, in, in Nahum 1.3 we read, quote, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Let me read down. The ch- Let me go to chapter 2. So God's going to destroy uh, the Ninevites. Now, verse 7 of chapter 1, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. That's for believers. He cares for those who trust in him. That's for us. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. God does not play. Listen to the next verse, verse 9, Nahum 1, 9. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. God is coming for the Ninevites. 
just like he came from came for Belshazzar. Now I want and and notice God says in verse one to Nineveh, "I will dig your grave." God says in verse 14, the Lord has commanded concerning you, Nineveh, you will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and uh, cast idols. Uh, Boy. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Now, this is really interesting. In the Hebrew... God says, I will prepare your grave for you are light, that is, without weight. Without weight. And God goes on. He is talking about though the, the, the Medes will come up against these people. And in chapter 2, we have this, and the poetry is vivid. Nahum says in verse 2, the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though the destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. Now, he is describing the invaders that will come in and destroy, to destroy the Ninevites. The shields of his soldiers are red, The warriors are dressed in scarlet, that is, red. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of of pine are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Now, I want you to picture this in your mind. Here you have the guards that are looking out over uh, and see uh, the walls, and they see this great, vast army. Everything is red. Everything is red. The guards look out over, and they see this sea of red which is symbolic of blood. Verse 5, chapter 2. He summons his picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. What does God do? Look, God doesn't have to look at how high your walls are. He knows where you're located. Look in chapter 1, verse 8. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. And so the waters come in. Watch the waters. Watch the waters. The water comes in and destroys the city. Verse 6 of chapter 2. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. Verse 7 is frightening to me. It is decreed that the city be exiled and carried away. It is decreed. It is by the 
divine design. It is decreed. You know, I rarely hear anyone preach anymore about the decrees of God. I rarely hear people preach about the the rewards of the saints, the crowns of the saints. I rarely hear that preached. Man, it's time to get back to doctrine and teach people the word of God. It's hard work uh, teaching the word of God, but, you know, like Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, and, and notice their, their powerful ministry and what Ezra uh, determined to do so that he would uh, be a, an able teacher of the word of God. He learned the word first. He lived the word first. He let doctrine change his life first. Then he went out to teach the people of God. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. I don't have time to do the grammar, but the grammar is fantastic. Uh, he caused himself. He caused himself. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, uh, this is Ezra 7, verse 6. Quote, this Ezra, and his name means help. Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Listen, I've experienced some of this, how God graciously opens doors, opens the hands, opens opportunities. But there has to be that commitment to him, that dedication to him. I know he is a door-opening God. You get serious with him. You get committed to him. You will know it too. And how many believers today need to learn and know about the God who opens doors that no man can shut? And how many believers need to be taught. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't give up. Don't let the enemy wear you out. Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear, you can't, you can't, you can't. Don't believe you can't. Jesus says, all things are possible to him that believeth. Listen to the language. All things are possible to him that believeth. Now, this is Revelation 6. I'm going to start at verse 7. Quote, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. 
and Hades were was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague. That should uh, plague should read disease. That should read disease or diseases plural. And by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, listen. Some very interesting information is coming out about this COVID and how a lot of things that were going along with people were patented. There are patent numbers uh, for the strains and for the viruses and what these people were doing. Uh, There are patent numbers. These, (laughs) I'll do a show on it. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been uh, as they had been uh, was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun uh, turned black. Uh, Isaiah writes that the earth will rock to and fro like a drunken man from the severity of the judgments to come. Verse 14, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up. The language is interesting. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the princes, the generals, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their uh, wrath has come, and who can stand? What will people say or do when the party is over? Nothing. Remember, Revelation 1, John said that he saw him and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Remember, Belshazzar. Remember, the book of Nahum. Remember the Ninevites. And God said, I will, I will dig your grave. Judgment comes, and no one can stop. The living God. You can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be saved by the blood of the Lamb. Confess your sins. Receive Jesus as your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What will people say or do? When the party is over, remember, as in the days of Noah, so will it be the time of the coming of the Son of Man. They were partying. 
and then they were swept away. Good night, my name is Dr. Josiah Rich, and God bless you.